Hello and welcome yet again to another fabulous and fantastic episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using, of course, a blend tool set of old school wisdom and new read tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, I'll be your host, and today we're going to be talking about the art of conscious living. So as we close out 2022 and as we enter into 2023, I was doing some reflection on my life and the past year, like many of you are probably also doing, and I was thinking about the failures and the foibles and also the triumphs and successes of this past year. And mainly I was thinking about why the year was so good. It was really good for me. And... I ended up reaching a satisfactory conclusion, at least by my standards, by landing on one variable that I'm going to expand upon in this podcast episode. And as I was thinking about doing a standard end of the year wrap up, but then I was like, I already did that. I already did that in 2020 and 2021. And you can go back and listen to those episodes if you still choose. However, this year, I'm going to be expanding on a theme that came about when I was thinking back over the successes of this year. Mainly, the theme is the combination and the trifecta of consistency, effort, and long-term thinking, which combine to make, in my opinion at least, what is known as conscious living. And to prove the point of this entire episode, I'm going to be sharing a few examples from my own life and instances where I found the value in all of these things, consistency, effort, and long-term thinking. And it's going to be sort of a bit of a slight autobiographical story pulling from different instances in my life. And you know that uh, if you've been listening since God knows when, a long time ago, Unstoppable Rise is not about me, which is why I do not talk about myself very much on here. But Just for the sake of proving the point, I'm going to be sharing some episodes from my past and some instances would be, in this case, Unstoppable Rise, my work life, and the gym. So those three instances I'm going to be sharing on later. And if you're like, I don't really care about any of those, I don't really care about uh, some parts from your life story, that's all well and good. That's completely fine. You can skip to the end where I'll be talking about some ways to incorporate a more conscious existence into your life so you can be successful in 2023 and beyond. But if you want more context to those examples I'll be giving, then you can listen on. So I'm going to start off this episode with a reading from a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And this was one of the first books I read explicitly talking about this topic back in 2016 when I was 24. And it was really critical to think about um, or how I think about things relating to consistency and effort over a long time period. This reading comes from pages 65 and yeah, 65, uh, 66 and 67 going on to page 68 of the slight edge on the paperback version and The chapter is slow down to go fast. So the headings are there is no instant life. Um, Where's the drama? And those are the two 
selections I'm going to be reading from. So it goes as follows. If you're offered the same choice the wealthy man gave his sons, would you choose the million dollars or the penny? Most people would make the second boy's choice the right now money, wouldn't you? After all, a million dollars in cash right now? And of course, you'd be making the wrong choice and you would be fooled as millions of people around the globe are fooled every minute of every hour of every day by those two seductive little words, right now. I once watched a guy standing in front of a microwave, fidgeting impatiently as he peered through the window at his lunch being cooked, muttering, come on, come on. It blew my mind. 60 seconds wasn't fast enough? It's become axiomatic to say we live in a push-button, instant-access fast food world where we want and expect everything yesterday. It isn't that we have more impatient temperaments than our great-grandparents did. It's that as a culture we have adopted an entirely different way of thinking, an entirely different philosophy. There is a natural progression in life. You plant, then you cultivate, and finally you harvest. In the days when we were an agrarian society, everyone knew this. It wasn't something anyone had to think about. It was self-evident, just the way things were. Plant, cultivate, harvest. But that's changed. Today, we have to learn it. And in today's world, everyone wants to go directly from plant to harvest. We plant the seed by joining the gym and then get frustrated when a few days goes by and there's no fitness harvest. Hey, we joined the gym, right? We put in the hours, right? All three or four of them. Why shouldn't we be looking more buff? But that's the logic of the lottery. Why should I have to build the skills, relationships, and experience it takes to earn the money? Why can't I just buy a ticket and have it? The step we've lost touch with, the one where the real, though invisible power lies, is the step of cultivating. And that step, unlike planting and harvesting, takes place only through the patient dimension of time. Because we are a culture steeped in generations of movies and television, we've gotten a little confused about the reality of time. We don't understand time anymore. And I'm not criticizing television and films. Film is an amazing art form. Television is a powerful medium. And in the hands of true artists, they can both teach us valuable lessons about life. But just not about time. Through a great film, you can experience the triumph of the human soul over adversity, the drama of a struggle between doing us right and succumbing to the temptations of the world, a moving encounter between generations, the flowering of a powerful romance, the struggle and birth of a nation, but it has to be finished in two hours. Can you imagine a nation being born in two hours, meeting the person who will become the love of your life, the dating, courtship, romance, struggle, triumph, wedding, and happy life thereafter in two hours? Of course not. We expect to put out the effort of a 30-second falling-in-love sequence or fighter-in-training sequence or crazy idea turns into million-dollar business sequence and get that same heroic ending. In a world filled with instant coffee, instant breakfast, instant credit, instant shopping, instant information, and 24-7 news, we have come dangerously close to losing touch with reality and believing we have access to an instant life. But life is not a clickable link. And thousands of years ago, Lao Tzu wrote, The highest good is like water. It gives life to 10,000 things. That's ancient Chinese for everything in the universe. If you've read the Tao Te Ching, you know that. It gives life to 10,000 things, yet does not compete with them. 
It flows in places that the mass of people detest, and therefore it is close to the Tao. I like that. It flows in places the mass of people detest. In other words, most people don't get it. They don't grasp the power of the quiet thing. Water, which scientists call the universal solvent, is a time-honored metaphor for time. And you can plug the word time into that verse, and it would work just as well. Time is like water. It gives life to everything and flows in places where most people just don't get. You could also plug in the phrase, the slight edge. And then the next section, it's called, Where's the Drama? said, there's a reason movies and television condense those con- those lengthy transformations, the kind that take months or years in real life, into 30-second montages set to great music. And it's not just that they don't have enough time to show how those things really unfold in real life. And even if they did have enough time, they still wouldn't do it because it's boring. The slide edge is boring. There, I said it. Of course, I only said it for a dramatic effect because it's actually incredibly exciting once you know where it leads. But it looks boring at first when you're oblivious to results that are coming down the road apiece. There's nothing boring about the Grand Canyon, but if you've been sitting watching it during its first few hundred years, you might have grasped it differently. Grasping the slight edge would be a whole lot simpler matter if making the right choices were a big deal. If it were a dramatic, huge, difficult thing, it would be a big deal. And why is that? Because then it would be obvious. You wouldn't need this book. The challenge is that making the right choices is not dramatic. And as we saw in the last chapter, it's a mundane choice. And that doesn't feel very heroic. And I'm going to skip over this a little bit. um, Where he says, the problem is your life is not a movie. It's real life. And said, if you've been following us around with a movie camera for the first few months, even the first year shooting a documentary, I guarantee it would not have been a very gripping experience because he details his experience in building up a $400 million company. It went from 70 million to 400 million in five years. Very dramatic in the big scheme of things. Five years isn't that long, but it's not five minutes. Said the slide edge can carve the Grand Canyon. It can do anything, but you have to give it enough time for the power of time to kick in. The right and wrong choices you make at the moment will have little or noticeable impact on how your day goes for you, nor will tomorrow, nor will the next day. And there's no applause, no cheers, no screams, no life or death results played out on the big screen. But it is exactly those same undramatic, seemingly insignificant actions that when compounded over time will dramatically affect how your life turns out. And they are ridiculously easy to do, but they're just as easy not to do. And if you don't do them, there won't be any big drama about it. It won't kill you. It won't hurt you. In fact, it won't make any difference at all. Not today anyway, not tomorrow, but over time. And that's the end of that section. So again, what I just read is from the book, The Slight Edge. Very, very um, highly tuned up to snuff book, which I highly suggest you read if you want to get a good grasp on the principle of thinking long term. And like I said, this book was foundational to the cross section of consistency, effort and long term thinking for me. So in a way, this whole episode can be considered a sort of tribute to the slight edge. So I'm going to dive into a little bit how the slight edge worked for me and talk about how it started Unstoppable Rise, to be honest. So for myself, 
when I was in my sophomore year, so 2011, I was going through a lot of things during that time. A lot of things personally, a lot of things on campus, familial things, and just being a general adolescent. And I mean, for those of you who are around my age or older, think back to when you were 19. And for many people, it was a turbulent time. And for me, it was a very turbulent time. And I just couldn't find a place where I could get a breather. So I wanted an answer and I prayed for an answer. And that answer came in the form of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which was my introduction to Stoic philosophy and eventual self-development. And it was a paradigm shift. I'd never even heard of Stoic philosophy before. I had really no interest in philosophy then because what I'd read of philosophy wasn't really usable when it came to living life. And another book I read soon after that was Talent is Overrated by Jeff Colvin. And it's really a book about skill development and how being innately talented doesn't really contribute to developing mastery and any skills. And that book also emphasized that all skills are essentially learnable and essentially everything in life is a skill at some level. Therefore, there's little outside the realm of human potential. At the time, I was like, I can vibe with that, right? And I should have known this from my days in athletics in school, because in school, every year I would show up to soccer or basketball and my skills would diminish. And it was mainly because I wasn't practicing. I wasn't making any significant effort to improve my skills. And it would sort of be like starting not quite from ground zero, but at a significant deficit of skill in comparison to other people. And more importantly, comparison to where I was the year previous, because I just didn't have that mindset of consistency, effort, and long-term thinking then. And that was mainly because I was still in school, you know, still, still a minor. You know, a lot of minors don't really have those things yet. And over the course of the season, I would improve dramatically, and I would be one of the lead scorers on the team. And they handed out awards at the end of the sports season every year. I would get most improved player for all the sports. But at the time, I should have taken the lessons of consistency and effort and applied it to my other endeavors, especially in school. But I didn't even think to connect the dots. So those lessons ended up being left on the field, so to speak. But in 2011, I was doing a lot of self-development and reading a lot of books. And I noticed that they were starting to change me in a good way. And then when I tried to share them with some of my friends at the time, they were like, You're reading self-help? That's so lame. And at the time, I didn't really know what to say or even really want to say anything to them because I knew that the things I was reading was changing my mindset. I started to look at things more constructively. And I also knew that I was quite clearly ignorant of many things and I never have once assumed to know it all. And some people think they know it all and then something happens and they end up getting screwed. But I never thought that way. There's, if there's something that has valuable insight on how to experience life, I'm going to, I'm going to take it no matter where it comes from. But I said, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm just going to keep going down this pathway. And it's funny, a couple years ago, one of my quote unquote friends called me in a complete wash. Like this guy really fucked his life up. And I'm not just saying this just to shit on him or anything. And I don't really believe that there's many mistakes you can't recover from short of death. But he was clearly in a situation that, to be honest, was very preventable. And he was asking me what he should do. And my answer to him was the same in 2019 that was the same eight years prior in 2011. Nothing. I had nothing to say to him. Like, <laughs> you're asking the wrong person, bro. Like, what would I do? I, I, I don't know. Go, go speak to a therapist or something. 
And he was one of those guys who thought he knew it all and he was too good for everything. And then his card was pulled, life pulled his card, and then he got fucked. Now, am I saying that if he got into self-development, he wouldn't be in the situation he's in? I don't know. I can't say that for sure. But one thing I do know is that it wouldn't have hurt. It wouldn't have hurt. And probably could have prevented a lot of the issues that he was dealing with um, when he did call me up. So again, talking about the slight edge, time is the main thing that really determines where you'll end up. Because again, he says in this book as well, time will promote you or will expose you. And it will expose your flaws and your weaknesses and promote the good disciplines, good habits you've been doing and uh, implementing into your life. So I was reading a lot of things that were self-development focused, not self-help focused, even though I did read some of that, but that wasn't majority of the material. A lot of stuff I was actually reading back then had to center around philosophy and spirituality, but I was reading all these things and it was changing my mindset and me adopting this self-development lifestyle at 19, even though I was still a novice, um, really influenced my decision to move off campus after my sophomore year because I realized that the lifestyle I'd been living then was unsustainable at best. And that sophomore year was crazy, like crazy, crazy, crazy looking back on it. And I was living with three other guys and was like a sweet type dorm room. And there was a lot of ridiculousness, a lot of frenetic energy, a lot of shoot first, ask questions never, gung ho, guns blazing, um, just very reckless behavior all around. Um, and I knew very clearly that I was going to be toast. I was going to be screwed if this kept up and if I was around this type of energy. So for my own mental sanity, I ended up moving out of the dorms and I went into what is known as monk mode now, even though at the time there was no real name for it. And I knew I had to cultivate myself in the relative stillness and silence. I knew I had to refine the inner man so the outer one could shine. I knew I had to go into my psychology. So that's what I did. First time really doing that. And I detailed my experiences in monk mode in an earlier podcast many years ago. So you can check that out if that interests you. And that year, junior year now, that was the first time I really got onto the dean's list. And for those who don't know, the dean's list is when you have a 3.5 grade point average for the semester. I got that for both the fall and the spring semesters. And that was because of my intention to hone in and focus. And I did that through monk mode. And also around that time, about a year earlier, I started a site called the Mid-Atlantic Lounge. Shout out to any of you if you've been around since that time, because I know uh, some of you have been there from the very beginning. But the Mid-Atlantic Lounge was a site that I made when I was a freshman. And it was discussing my interests and things I found interesting within pop culture. But as I started to get deeper into self-development, the context of the website to shift more towards that direction. So I just ended up packaging it, selling the domain, and Unstoppable Rise was born in late 2015, early 2016. And I started Unstoppable Rise because I wanted a place to unravel all the insights and teachings I was learning and combine them in new ways to come up with something that wasn't original, but it was uh, like a synthesis. Because I was reading a whole bunch of stuff and I was saying, why are different authors coming to the same conclusions even though they live in different areas of the globe, they lived in different time periods, and they had different philosophies on life. But why were they hitting upon these same truths? Why were they, why were they coming to these same conclusions, more or less? 
And I came to the conclusion that there is a, such a thing as universal principles. There's underlying principles that govern all of human existence. And Ensemble Rise is really speaking and looking into those universal principles because it's taking these things I was reading and learning and pretty much giving examples about how this is applicable to that principle. So you're more likely to see books um, on the site. You're not going to see it in the form of a review or step-by-step Sparknotes version on how to implement. You're more likely to see it being used as a contextual side-by-side element to work through a particular topic. And to be honest, I really started Unstoppable Rise for myself because I thought if I could go back five years when I started, what would be the things someone who's learning and growing in self-development want to know about? And at first I was writing about a whole bunch of different things and I still do, but my writing was really all over the place. But again, I did for myself because you learn at a deeper level when you spread your knowledge to others. So I was gaining depth and breadth. And in 2016, that was the year of pretty much nothing. There was no real movement going on. I was probably averaging a whopping 30 paid fees a month. So really nothing home, nothing to write home about. And the only real win I had for that year was I got linked to by a blogger of a site that I really respect. And that was a huge win for me because I had very little content on the site to begin with. So I ended up gaining a lot of traffic from that time period, but it quickly dipped back to the baseline. So no movement in 2016. And then I thought to myself, if I got linked to by this guy, would other guys be willing to do the same? So that's when I decided to ramp up my efforts in 2017 because I felt like I could have a bigger impact with this stuff. So in 2017, I came out guns blazing. I was writing very heavy, very in-depth pieces every other week, like 2,000 words a month. And sometimes it would be every week, and that's a large load to sustain because I was also working at the time, trying to get started in my career. But I also started writing on Quora at the time. And Quora, for those of you who don't know, is a question and answer website where someone states a question and then you answer it. And I started studying what makes people successful on the platform. And I saw that people were doing some version of storytelling. So that's why I started doing my answers. My answers to the questions were buried in the story that I pulled from my own experiences in life, and then I would offer some actionable tips to implementation at the end. So it was sort of roundabout. It was like a long, it was, it was a lot of long form content, and I was honing my skills every day from when I started writing in earnest on there in May of 2017. And then when I first started writing, it was virtual crickets at the beginning. I was having some people engage with my stuff, but definitely not as much as the top dogs. But at the time, In 2017, Quora was the place to be if you're a writer or content creator. It was a great platform to capitalize on attention. It was gaining a lot of traffic. And in my opinion, Quora should have become what Medium is today. And in fact, it should even be bigger than Medium. Why it didn't become that? I have a whole bunch of theories, but again, this episode's not about that. So crickets for many months in 2017 after writing almost every single day. Then one day in December of 2017... One of my answers blew up and went viral. Then after that, it was a snowball downhill into 2018, getting massive amounts of likes, views, and then add one answer blow up in August of 2018. And now today in 2022, it is one of the most viral answers on that site. Close to a quarter million views, about 34,000 likes, over 200 comments, and it's shared widely across the platform. And across social media as well. 
And that's when the podcast invites came. People were saying, dude, you must write for us and all that jazz. But it came because I didn't decide to quit. It was more evidence on my mind that sticking with things for a long time can eventually reap huge dividends. And I wanted to quit Quora multiple times, many times. There were multiple times in the heat of summer that I just wanted to say, fuck it. I have other things to do. This is a gigantic waste of time. I'm not gaining anything from this. I'm just spending hours trying to formulate answers and writing content. But my inner voice told me to keep going. And I also saw the shadows of potential impact of what would happen if I actually blew up on the platform. And that ended up happening and I'm all the better for it. So when it comes to um, working, my work life has been pretty interesting. I've done a whole bunch of jobs. Um, But I'll say that when I started working... Um, I started working in design because my major was in digital media. It was called digital media. That was a specialization and it had a design focus on it. And design was really something I started getting into in 2005 when I had really been sharpening my skills in writing on forums and creating signatures and doing a whole bunch of things online. So that was pre-Web 2.0 or Web 3.0. I don't know which one it is now. But that was five years before the smartphone era really began. And I was out there. I was writing content. I was doing things in Adobe Photoshop. And I was gaining practice in these things. And I didn't really know it at the time. At least I didn't call it practice. But I just had things that I was interested in. And I pursued those interests. uh, Because a lot of them were related to gaming. Which I was a huge gamer at the time. I was very into competitive video games. So... A lot of my interests at that time were related to gaming or they're related to music or they're related to some sort of physical fitness. But in this case, it was related to gaming, doing a lot of things on Photoshop. And I was like, you know, why don't I just be a graphic designer? So I thought I was going to end up being a graphic designer and I really liked design, but I found out I didn't love design. So I graduated college in 2013 and ended up getting a job at a design studio after college. And I had a feather in my cap because I was one of the few people in college who actually worked in the field they majored in. And that's what I thought at the time. So I started working there and I was like, ugh, I don't like this. And I thought I would, but I didn't do any internships in college because I was too busy working. I was too busy hustling. I was trying to get money for myself and also help contribute to the household for my mom and I when I would come back for break. So if I did an internship in design, I would have found out that I liked design, but again, I didn't love it. And also in 2014, uh, I ended up quitting that job because, uh, again, I just didn't like it. And in 2013, I ended up getting into a, the year prior, I ended up getting into a really bad car accident where I was pretty much out for many months. And that's a story for another time. But when I recovered in 2014, I just ended up quitting that job. I didn't even go back in. I just told them, hey, I'm not coming back. So um, I decided to go look for something else. And during this time, I was also getting very heavily into web design and learning a lot of front end and some back end web development. And to be honest, being introduced to HTML and CSS in college was probably the best thing that happened to me then because I probably wouldn't have done it myself. So I started doing projects for free just to gain some experience. I'd gotten really good in a couple months of daily practice and I was surprised how good I got because 
at that time, uh, HTML and CSS was a foreign language to me, but then it wasn't. Everything is hard before it is easy. And I got to the point where I felt confident in my skills to go out there and start doing work for clients. So in between me looking for another job, I got to the point where I pitched a friend to do a website for a business that he had for free and he declined. He said, nah, you know, I think I got this. I'll just get someone else. But I was like, you know, you'll have direct access to me, unlimited rounds of revisions, a top to bottom redesign for free, for free. But he was like, nah, you know, no hard feelings there. Two years later, and this was 2016, the same guy comes to me and says, hey, man, I need some help on building my site. And I was like, what? I thought you made it already. He said he didn't. So I quoted him my price, which was $750. And if you know anything about web design, you know that is not a lot of money for a website. And I thought it was reasonable, but he didn't. So there was no deal. And then in 2021, last year, last year, right? He comes back to me asking for help to make the site. I was like, bro, you've been trying to build this thing up for years. I think, I think he had a Wix or some shit uh, going on. And he asked me if I could help him. And I told him no, because I don't even do websites anymore. And if I did, the price would easily be in the four to five figure range because... I need to be compensated for my time. I could be doing other more valuable things with my time that could be honestly making me more money uh, over that span of time. But um, he waited. He waited like a lot of people are doing and he lacked long-term thinking and it cost him big time. It cost him a lot. So going back to 2014, I was looking for work after I quit the design studio and one of my friends told me, hey, you should go in copywriting. You're a really good writer. And I was like, what the hell is that? And he told me about it and I was like, oh, you can make money doing this. So I researched it and I said, this looks cool. So I started looking for entry level copywriting jobs and that was my foray into the marketing career that I have now. So I worked for some companies and then in 2017, I said, I want to get into freelancing and consulting. I thought it would be a good way to supplement my income, gain some more skills. So I started doing that. And I started up my LLC. And up to, I ended up uh, telling my mom about it. And I went to go pick her up from somewhere. I can't remember where. And she gave me a check with the exact amount to register the LLC. <laughs> I, told, I told her, I said, you won't have to give me the money to start it up. But she said, stake it. Because she said, when someone offers you help, just... Just take it. If you, if it's nothing illegal and if they have good intentions, just accept their help. So I did accept that. And I took that as a token of her belief in me because she was able to see the long-term vision of what I was doing because I explained it in full to her. And to this day, she's my number one supporter, which I'm very thankful for. And I remember I ended up telling my dad that I want to do this and he did not have a favorable reaction to it. And he said, ah, you're always talking about doing this business, business, business stuff. Why can't you do this? And why can't you do that? And then I was like, oh, okay, that's how it is. And for the, for, um, to set some context, uh, my, my parents, um, they ended up divorcing, uh, when I was about eight years old, not, not a big deal. Many people, or products of divorced parents or products of parents who weren't even married in the first place. And when I was a lot younger, I used to think it was a big deal, but it's really not. And at the time, he and I 
had back and forth contentious relationship in terms of direction of what I wanted my career to look like, what I wanted my life to look like. And he wanted me to go in a more STEM direction. They didn't really call it that back then in 2000, 2008, 2009, 2010, when I was in college, going into college. But that's the direction he wanted me to go into. But to be honest, that was the direction he should have gone into because he was supposed to be a chemist. But he ended up flunking out of school um, because he did not, for various reasons, but it basically boiled down to lack of consistency, effort, and long-term thinking on his part. And pretty much anything that came when it came to pretty much succeeding in a big way like a big big way think of like a big goal you have whether it be graduating from college or it be graduating from you know uh, some sort of technical school or just really buckling down for several months and honing in on building a business and pretty much putting a lot of effort in long term he's not really for that because he would just end up quitting on a lot of things he was doing Um, so a lot of what he did in life has a lot of half, there was a lot of half baked um, things, half finished projects that he, he would be working on in life. And, you know, he's pretty much relatively successful now, especially since my parents are immigrants. They came to this country in the eighties at different times. And then they met later, but um, yeah, they're pretty successful for immigrants to the United States. But basically looking back on the advantages that he had and the things that you know he should have done with his life. He should have achieved a lot more, a lot more, uh, but he didn't. So basically he was trying to live vicariously through me and I pretty much got into many arguments with him over the course of college about direction of my major. Like I told you, I was in digital media and he didn't see the value in that. Again, lack of long-term thinking, but I saw the value in that because I knew that this would be something that's profitable in the future. I knew that I want to be involved in this industry in the future. I didn't know in what form. I didn't know it was going to be digital marketing. But I knew that this is the future. Uh, e-commerce is the future. I remember one of my friends, um, a couple couple of weeks ago, one of my friends even reminded me that I was talking about this shit back in like 20, 2011, 2012. And even, even he thought I was crazy. He thought I was crazy. A lot of people thought I was crazy. Like you're just talking about JavaScript, talking about e-commerce. You're talking about, oh, how Amazon's going to be like a global force in the next decade. They, they all thought I was crazy. So, but I, I have like a uncanny ability to spot trends based on how things are going. So I've always, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a psychic. I'm not always right, but there's been a lot of times where I've seen where a trend is going and I've been able to nail it because I just have some foresight. I don't, I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if this is the gift of discernment uh, or whatever, but I know that I have an ability to think long-term more than other people and mixture of nature and nurture. I don't know, but regardless um, I knew where I wanted my life to go and I saw myself, I had the long-term vision for my life. Again, I didn't know the exact pieces of what that would look like, but he didn't see that vision. And going back to this consulting thing, um, I was like, okay, I'll just, it it was pretty much one of those things like, okay, I'll show you. So I ended up networking. I was grinding. I would wake up early in the mornings he didn't see the times when I was going to recruitment offices to have me on standby just in case any projects popped up. He didn't see me going to networking event after networking event after networking event. In 2017, I was hitting that circuit pretty hard. He didn't see all that. 
he didn't see me talking to different people, asking them, picking their brain about how they were getting into consulting, freelancing, looking up how to price myself, how to add value, all of these things, sharpening my skills. And the work you do in private is going to be the uh, product that you show in public. That's how it always is. And after about a period of a year and a half, I ended up getting a contract with an NFL team, uh, National Football League here in the States, to help them redesign their website. And everyone I knew was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. That's so crazy. Like, how did this happen? But it's only going to be crazy because I'd been laying the groundwork for that singular event to happen for years, for years. And again, like Jeff Olson said in The Slight Edge, life is not a movie. It is not a fucking movie. It can feel like a movie when you have the uh, end thing come up, like your dream lifestyle. You feel like you're living in a movie, but the years leading up to that lifestyle, it is not a movie. (laughs) It's many, many months and many, many years of hustling and grinding and for a lot of people struggling. And like, again, like I said, people thought I was crazy when I was talking about this stuff back in 2012. Like you're stupid. Online shopping will never be dominant. Uh, Remote working will never be. I remember an executive I was talking to in 2014 at one of the companies because I asked him, I said, you know, this work that I'm doing, I don't really need to be in the office every day. Uh, Is there possible that we can have a hybrid schedule like what they call hybrid now, working from home like two days a week or three days a week or a day, one day a week even, and coming to the office, you know, the other days. And he said, no, we need everyone in the office. That was the mentality back then. And those of you who worked heavily before the pandemic knew, know that this was the mode of business. Uh, remote work was seen as something foolish back then. <clears throat> and the executive at the company I worked for said, you know, remote work will never happen. Well, five to six years later, where are we now after a once in a generation pandemic? And many people, myself included, are either fully remote or hybridized. So the future is now and the future comes sooner than you think. And you prepare for that future by adding up small daily disciplines every single day that are easy to do, but also easy not to do. So my last example of this slight edge concept, and we're going to be getting into how you can implement this. My last example is going to be the gym. Now, the gym or just staying active is an integral part of my lifestyle, and that was not always the case. And I started officially working out in 2012, so intentionally trying to gain muscle mass. And before then, I tried it here and there, and I was pretty convinced that I just wasn't the person who could put on muscle, which was a limiting belief. And I was very physically fit, and I always played sports, but I was also super skinny. And for my friends who are listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm a little over six foot. And at the time, I probably weighed around 140 pounds. So yeah, not, not that big. But I had two main reasons for starting to work out. Because uh, <laughs> some, people, some people say that, oh yeah, everyone works out for the girls. I remember one of my, one of my uh, former roommates said that, oh yeah, you work out, uh, people work out for the girls. And uh, my main reasons for working out were not for women. I mean, <laughs> you'll need to work out to get women. Uh, at least I don't. So, <laughs> um, but the first one is that I realized that I just need more physical presence. You know, I came into college in twenty, yeah, two thousand nine, 
uh, still running off of the same paradigm that developed in high school, which is basically a paradigm based on survival, not thriving. And obviously in high school, there's a lot of things that happen. But for me, I was just trying to get through the day just so I could, uh, you know, do what I want to do. And I didn't really have too much interest in school, which was paradoxical because I was one of those kids who was just a, I wasn't a straight A student. I'd probably say I was an A minus B plus student, but I never studied. I didn't really care too much about school. I thought learning was very interesting. I liked a lot of the subjects that I was learning about. I thought some of my teachers were cool, but in general, the structured nature of school, I didn't really vibe with that because school is not how real life is, right? You don't sit your life in a structured environment taking tests. Life, real life is not about taking tests and memorization. I just happened to be good at those things. So I didn't really take school too seriously, too seriously, but uh, I just developed a paradigm of let me just get through the day and let me just go home and, you know, just do whatever else I have to do or whatever else I want to do. So um, what ended up happening is that I developed this persona of what I'd call an aloof joker. So I'd be someone who was very hard to get to know. Um, but I would also end up cracking a lot of jokes and I would make people laugh. I, tr- I straddled this interesting line where I was, uh, I was well liked by a lot of people. Um, I was, I was able to, you know, how in high school, there's a lot of cliques. I never found myself in a different, in a, in a clique. I always managed to, I was always very sociable and able to get in and out of groups very easily. And I think that's a skill that is good to develop in life, you know, being sociable with a lot of people because there's a lot of different people in the world and a lot of people don't think like you either. So you have to meet them where they're at. And that's what I did. But, um, you know, being an aloof joker is not a good combination to get people to respect you because you end up being someone who is just used for entertainment and someone people take for granted. And also people don't really know who you are because you don't really let a lot of who you are out. And if you've been to college, you know that college life is not about being disengaged. It's not about being the funny guy. You need to put yourself out there. You need to assert yourself. You need to challenge yourself. It's not about drawing back. It's not about being comfortable. It's about sharpening your formative years. You know, college is the first place where you really start to do that. And I knew that. I realized that in early sophomore year. I realized that the template that I'd created over the past four years was not sufficient to help me live a good college life. So, and when you're younger, and young people tend to be shallow, at least more shallow than the average person, average adult, your physical presentation matters. So I need that physical presence. And then secondly, uh, as I made my mind up in 2012 saying, you know what, I'm going to work out. I started looking up transformations on bodybuilding.com. And that site was my bread and butter when I first started working out. But as I was going through the transformations, I came across one of this guy named Ziz. And I was like, wow, this guy was ridiculously skinny, even skinnier than I was. And now he's not. And I'm like, if I can even get half of what he got, then I'll be in a good place. And I found out later that Ziz was on a cocktail of performance enhancing drugs But I still found him an inspirational figure, not necessarily a role model, but I figured, hey, if this guy could do it, transform his body, I could probably do it too, at least to some degree. And at this time in 2012, when I started working out, Ziz had been dead for over a year. And as I kept working out, more and more people started popping up, like Steve Cook, I think he's great. I think he's the best of that old generation there. 
Chris Guzman, Chris Jones, Jeff Side, all these people, because Instagram was really starting to get popular then. And Ziz's influence started to wane a little bit. But if you're under the age of 25, then there's probably a good chance you don't even know who the hell I'm talking about. But if you lift weights and if you follow anyone on social media, there's a good chance they were influenced or at least inspired by Ziz in some way. And this whole fitness model, aesthetic influencer type thing, he was the originator of it. And I don't really think he gets enough credit for that. So rest in peace to him. So before in 2012, 2013, it was really about getting the form and the weight down. And at the time, I didn't really have a good understanding of diet. So that's where I start to dial my efforts in. And that's where I had to dial my efforts in because I have a very fast metabolism. To this day, I still have a very fast metabolism. And after I locked in my diet and I'm getting better on every exercise, I ended up gaining 20 pounds in 12 weeks. And some people were like, oh my God, what the hell happened? Some people thought I was in steroids. Some people were asking me on my workout plans. People were asking me to train them. But I was just using the school gym every single day and eating right every single day. I was like, you know what? I like this. I like the fact that there's something I can progress in and I can see it and other people can see it as well. And the only other thing I was doing that was relating to progression at the time was playing musical instruments. But that was more of an inside thing. And here in the field of physical fitness, when you have an inner victory, you also have an outer victory. Self-mastery in this area literally reaps dividends. And after I graduated college, I just kept that as a habit. Like That became part of my self-image. Every day after work, I would go to the gym. And I had many training partners. Some couldn't hang. Others lost the motivation. Some came back and fell off, etc., etc. But one guy in particular, one guy, right? I went to school with him in high school and I contacted him. He and I kept in touch over college, but I I was texting him. I told him I was in the process of building up my physique. He was like, really? I've been wanting to get into workout too. So I was like, okay, I'll pick you up at this time and we'll go to the gym. So we went to my college gym because all recent alumni had free access. So I took advantage of it. And during the entire session, he looked like he was in a torture chamber. And when we went to go get something to eat, he said, oh, I'm glad that's over. I told him to rest up because I was like, we're coming back tomorrow. He was like, what? We're coming back tomorrow? I was like, yeah, that's how you grow in the gym. You don't make progress by sitting down on your couch. You need to get, you need to progressively challenge yourself. You need to get the pump. (laughs) And the next day he said he had something to do. So I just ended up going without him. And then there was some times where he would come. It was sporadic, but again, you don't make progress unless you're consistent in the gym, consistent effort. So there would be many times that he would come and then he would just not come for weeks after that. And I would text him, say, hey, you come to the gym, bro? I'm going right now. And he, he was really someone I had to encourage. And I just end up stopped texting him after he kept saying no repeatedly. So for me, eight years later, I'm now in great shape, at least by my standards, And I weigh anywhere between 180 pounds to 190 pounds, depending on when you talk to me, because I'm bulking right now. I'm probably on the heavier side of that. I actually weighed myself the other week, and I stepped on the scale at 188. So I am on the heavier side of that. Um, And depending on when you talk to me, I'm anywhere from about 10 to 12% body fat. So I'm not massive, but I put on quite a bit of muscle over the past decade while staying very lean. And it's funny when I tell people how much I weigh because they think I'm at least 10 pounds heavier than that. Um, 
and I have very broad shoulders and about a 29, 30 inch waist and I have a thin frame. So when guys like me um, start bulking up, any amount of muscle I add, I just end up looking a lot bigger than I do. And if you have my body type, then you know what I'm talking about. And based on various online calculations, the biggest I can get while staying in single digit body fat would probably be around 198 pounds, which probably wouldn't happen until the next couple of years. And that would be <laughs> that would be a pretty uh, aesthetic guy, to say the least. But anyway, my my friend, um, eight years later, he's living a version of what I call the NPC lifestyle. And I just posted an article up about that last week. And I think it's sad because I think he's sort of selling himself short. And it's not like he has to go to the gym or anything because he doesn't. No one has to go to the gym again for, you know, life progression. But I think that the gym would have helped him a lot because this was a guy who was a great guitarist. He was good at school. He was very intelligent. He had a lot of things going for him. And to see him settle for a life of drinking constantly watching Netflix, playing endless video games, and pretty much settling for women who don't treat him well, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad, right? And now we don't even hang out anymore because our lifestyles are so incongruent. And that's that slight edge curve I was talking about earlier. And would have going to the gym have prevented that? And I don't know. But like again, I do think it would have given him some mental tools and some physical tools to work with to not settle for a life of mediocrity and underachievement for him. And that's the effect of putting in or not putting in consistent effort over long periods of time. And I have many examples of these guys. This was just a small snippet of my life. Uh, I knew guys who were better at guitar than I was. I knew guys who were stronger than I was. I knew guys who were really good singers. I knew guys who had really good business acumen. I knew guys who were just very, very talented people. And... They threw it all away because they were not able to put in the effort over long periods of time to maintain and strengthen what they have. And in school, you can be the big man on campus. You could be the alpha. You can be all of these things. But when life comes, when life comes with the haymaker, when your happiness in life isn't all about getting good grades, isn't about being popular at school, when you aren't in the bubble of school, What happens then? And the answer is that many people just end up falling apart because they were not trained on how to put in long-term consistent effort in many things. And you probably have many people in this, like this in your life as well. People who were the wonderkins, the golden children, the pretty guys, pretty people, the charmed people, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your parents even maybe have been these people who just fell from grace, right? And You can always use people as a lesson of what to do and what not to do. And this is an example of the slight edge at work. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter who your parents were. If you don't continue to strengthen your continuous advantages that you have right now, time, time will expose you or promote you again. And I'm at the age where I'm seeing a lot of my peers being exposed or promoted based on what they did or didn't do over the past couple of years. So that's why it's very important to keep knowledge of these things. Now, I know I've been going on about myself for quite a bit, so we're going to put this to a close. What about you? 
How can you apply what I just talked about here to your own life and start living more consciously in 2023 and beyond? Well, I'd say the first thing is to take personal responsibility. And personal responsibility means you take full responsibility for your life and everything in it, even if those things didn't originate with you, and even the bad things. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're an adult and have been an adult for a decent amount of time, so you have your own history of failure and taking L's. But if you want to live consciously, you need to take responsibility for where you are. This is how you really start doing things like self-development and making them work for you. Many people do not and cannot make self-development work for them because they're not willing to take full responsibility. So that's one. Secondly, would be to develop self-awareness. And self-awareness is the process of knowing your motivations, your aversions, your fixations, and building a life to capitalize on your strengths and improve your weaknesses. And if you don't know yourself and what you bring to the table, the world will give you everything. It'll give you distraction. It'll give you trauma. It'll give you confusion in general. Your friends, your family will give you confusion. Oh, you should go here. You should watch this. You should pay attention to this. You should major in this. You should go into this career. You should do all this bullshit. But it's all because you don't know what you really want. And to do that, you need to practice the third point, blue sky thinking. What is blue sky thinking? Simply put, if I were living my ideal life right now, what would I be doing on a daily basis? What would I not be doing? Who would be in it? Who would not be in it? Many people don't ask themselves this, which is why they end up driving what they don't want to drive, living where they don't want to live, working where they don't want to work, and living a life of frustration, as the legendary Jim Rohn once put it. So ask yourself these questions, and you'll be all the better for it. Fourth, What's your program like? What's your schedule like? And many people do not have a schedule. The only time they have a schedule is at work. And a lot of their life outside of work happens on autopilot. There's no intentionality in the days. And if you ask some people, what are you going to be doing in the next three to six months? They'll have absolutely no clue. But if you ask me, I can tell you exactly what I'll be doing. And I know that things can change. I think the past several years have shown us all that. But I'd rather be prepared than unprepared. Because a lack of a schedule, a lack of a to-do list, this is how people waste their time. This is how people spend their entire weekends binging on TV series, wasting time online, arguing on social media, browsing the internet, and just in general fucking around. Then days, weeks, months, years pass, and you still have things that are unfinished, you still have books you haven't read, hobbies you haven't pursued, many, many things. So start with writing out a to-do list for tomorrow. And once you've done that for a couple of weeks, start by scheduling out weeks, then go for an entire month, then an entire quarter, then an entire year. And if you want to get ambitious, go for three to five years. And I don't recommend scheduling anything for more than five years. So five years ago was 2017 heading into 2018. Can you even remember what you were doing in 2017? That's why I only recommend scheduling for up to three years max. Like you can have goals that go longer than that. Like for example, I want to move here by 2029 or I want to have children by 2028 or I want to achieve a certain level of finances by 2032 or something like that by X year, Y year. But just start with your day for now. Just start by scheduling your days and then build up from there and see how it changes your life. Five would be to determine your end point. Who do you want to be at the end of a certain period of time? And I asked myself this when I was 21 and I just left college. I asked myself, who do I want to be when I'm 30? And when you're 21, 30 seems like it's forever away, like it won't ever happen. 
But I knew that just as I was once 12 years old, which was nine years of the past at that point, I'll be 30, which was nine years in the future. And I am 30. I'm 31 now. So I started laying the groundwork to become the 30-year-old I saw in my mind's eye, part of which I've explained here. And many people meet me and they think I was always this guy. I was not. I had to go out there and create him. And he was created brick by painstaking brick because I gave into the slight edge and I submitted to the slight edge mindset. So who do you want to be in, let's say, three to five years again? Sketch it out, write it down, post it on your wall, and get to work on becoming them. So six, I would say, is to be grateful and to be resourceful. So if you're listening to this, you have a lot to be grateful for. You have hearing, which is why you can listen to this podcast. You either have a smartphone or computer you're listening to this on, some type of electronic device. You may have two arms, two legs, two eyes, a working brain, people who care about you. I, I don't know. Whatever you have, give thanks for it because there's a lot of people who don't have those things for whatever reason. And a lot of people in the first world produce a lot of waste. People waste time, they waste money, they waste resources, but for some reason they want more. They aren't judiciously using what they already have and they end up wanting more for some reason. For some reason. Do you really need to trade in your car for a new one after three years? Do you really need to eat out every single day? Do you really need the top of the line stereo system? Do you really need um, like a big fancy HD screen TV? You know, all these things. And there's nothing wrong with these things. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these things, but I'll just tell you right now, if you aren't resourceful with what you have, or if you aren't squeezing the juice out of everything you have right now, you will never be successful. And how can I know this? Look at lottery winners. Most lottery winners go broke five to seven years or even less after their windfall. Why is that? No resourcefulness. Just spending, 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 wasting, wasting, wasting. And someone like Warren Buffett did not get to where he was because he was a spendthrift because he was not resourceful. He didn't get to that point because of spending money. You don't get to that point. <laughs> There's a saying, oh, you got to spend money to make money. But a lot of people spend money and they're, they don't make it. So they just end up being broke. And also I have an example from my parents. My parents are also very frugal and resourceful people because they're immigrants to the United States. And they still managed to make uh, a good life for themselves. And they had to be resourceful in the early days when they were in America because when you're an immigrant to a country like America, it's either, you know, succeed or go home. There's no real, there's no real option for you because you don't have family over here. Obviously a lot of our family on a lot of my mom and dad's families on both sides are now in the United States or somewhere else in another first world country. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what the game is when you're an immigrant. It's either survive or, you know, go home. So they, they knew what they came here to do, especially my mom. They did it and they had to be resourceful to make it all the way 30 plus years of surviving in a first world environment that they had, they knew, they, they, they knew nothing about and yeah, resourcefulness. So resourcefulness and be grateful. So ask yourself, how can you use what you have right now to get to where you need to get to? How can you stack advantages in the most time and cost effective way? 
And don't say you have zero advantages. Everyone has some advantage. Some of them may be more hidden than others, but this is why I just mentioned self-awareness and why it's so important. So be resourceful and be grateful. That's number six. So last point, the last point I have here, and I'd say this is the most important, is you need to ask yourself, what are you going to give up? What am I going to give up? In order to become the person you want to be and to get to the destination you have in your mind's eye, there's going to have to be some sort of sacrifice. And I don't like to phrase it in those terms because it's so cliche, but you'll have to stop doing something because time is finite. You can't do everything, especially if you have very ambitious goals. And some of you guys email me and tell me about your goals. And my goals in comparison to some of you guys are nothing. And I still had to give something up, right? I still had to give something up. And for me, that thing I had to give up was video games, which is funny because many people play video games now and seen as just another cool hobby. And as I touched on before, I was a huge gamer. In my teens and adolescent years, I had all the consoles, GameCube, Xbox, PlayStation 3, a decked out PC, all the works. I loved gaming, (laughs) if I can't reiterate that enough. And it was to the point where most people thought I was either going to be going pro or be involved in the industry in some capacity professionally. And when I was growing up, the people who played video games to the extent I did when I was younger were pretty much nerds or, quite frankly, losers. And it was seen as childish to play video games for hours on end, especially if you were a grown-ass man above probably like the age of 25 or something like that. You were seen as like an outcast of sorts because nerd culture hadn't really permeated the mainstream. It was pretty much uncool to be a quote-unquote nerd. Now everybody wants to be a nerd. Like, oh, I'm wearing glasses or I'm into really nerdy stuff. Look how cool I am. That wasn't the case when I was growing up. And that tells you how much the world has changed. And I remember um, when I was playing this game called Halo 3 on Xbox 360. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys know what I'm talking about. You know Halo. Everybody pretty much knows Halo. And I was 15 going on 16 at the time. And I was on a team with a guy who apparently was like 35 and he was really good. I was like, holy crap. And I was just like, yo, what are you doing playing like playing games like this all day? Don't you have other stuff to do? So even I had that perception because I thought that, yeah, this guy is an adult. Like, what is he doing playing hour after hour of games? Why, why is he this good? Shouldn't he be raising a family or something? I, I don't know, but... It wasn't like today where gaming is pretty mainstream and you have all the celebrities playing it and everyone making it look cool. And I mean, there was some of that, especially back in the day with arcades, but for console gaming, social media and stuff like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, those things really made gaming take off and become something cool. And now you've got people who make six, seven figures doing something like streaming, esports and so on, and it's culturally accepted. But... As I started to go throughout college, I started to lose interest in gaming because my heart wasn't in it as much anymore, and I started to develop other interests, self-development being one of them, and I knew that gaming was becoming this big thing, and I could end up possibly making a lot of money, but again, my heart wasn't in it anymore. I knew that to get to where I need to be, to become that ideal I had in my mind's eye, gaming needed to take a back seat, so it did. 
And eventually I stopped playing entirely. And in 2016, I packaged all my shit up and gave away what I could, sold the rest on eBay, GameStop, and that was that. And the last time I picked up a controller was probably about five years ago. And there was a death there, right? There was a large part of my psyche that died and ended up becoming reborn. And I could probably say that without giving up gaming, Unstoppable Rise would not exist and you would not be listening to this. So you can see the effects of such a large life choice as that. And regardless, I'll always love video games. I still occasionally watch people do run-throughs on series that I'm interested in uh, when I have time at least. And if I had endless time in the world, I would still play video games. But I don't. And you don't either. So what are you going to give up in order to live a more conscious life? Only you can answer that. But that is it for this episode. I appreciate you listening all the way to the end if you did. And I wish you all the best in 2023 as you live more consciously. And I wish you a very bright and prosperous new year. We'll talk in 2023. Take care. Hey there. Thanks for checking out this podcast episode and giving me your time and attention today. It really means a lot. If you liked it, please give the show a five-star rating. It really helps out a lot and it will expose the show to other people who need to hear this message. Secondly, you can check me out at www.nostalpoverise.com where I write about self-development topics with a masculine slant. Or you can check me out on Twitter at UnstoppRise if social media is your jam where I tweet daily about self-development topics. So that's it for now. Again, take care of yourself. Take care of other people. And peace. Peace.